Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the Word of God, our regular epistolary lesson for this Sunday, as we find it written in Peter's first letter, the fifth chapter, especially the sixth verse. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In Christ Jesus, the Lord of the nations, dear friends, you who are here in God's house this morning, and you also Christian friends who are worshiping with us by means of the radio. Today is the third Sunday after Trinity. Today is also the Sunday before July the 4th, which is the birthday of our beloved nation. Next Thursday, our land and nation will celebrate its 187th birthday. And as we gather here in God's house this morning, we may say to ourselves, does the Word of God have a message for America in such a time as this, living in this hour in which you and I are living? When you and I look out at our nation this morning and we see its needs and we see its dangers, and we realize that we are living in the atomic, the nuclear age, and we are living in the age of outer space, and we say to ourselves, does God have something to say to our nation as we observe its 187th birthday. And as we turn to the Word of God, we find the Apostle Peter, the great fisherman from up Galilee way, wrote to the Christians of his day living under the Roman eagle, living under the Caesars, and he had a message for them. And that message is very appropriate and very vital for you and me as Americans on this day when we celebrate the birthday of our great nation. And this is what the Apostle Peter told the Christians who were living under the Roman eagle. He said, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. We know that our God is a spirit, therefore God doesn't have a hand. And therefore the hand is the symbol of power. The mighty hand therefore the symbol of almighty, unlimited, omnipotent power. And so Peter wrote to the Christians of his day, living under the Roman Empire, humble yourselves under the mighty, the unlimited power of God. To humble ourselves means to get on our knees. To humble ourselves means to bow. It means to stoop. And when they say to ourselves, bow in humility in what way? And the Apostle Peter tells us, for he says, cast all your care upon him. In other words, this is the call to America today from the Word of God as the Apostle Peter speaks, and that is, humble yourselves in a true confidence, in a true spirit of reliance on the mighty hand of God and trust Him all the way through thick and thin. That's what it means to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And we sophisticated Americans may say to ourselves this morning, we are to get on our knees, America, and we are to trust in our God and to trust Him all the way with an implicit faith, a faith that knows no ends, and to trust that mighty, omnipotent, all-powerful hand of His. 
Isn't there a danger if you and I put our trust in the mighty hand of God that we may find ourselves as the bottom man on the totem pole? Or that we may find ourselves out on a limb and somebody may saw the limb off in front of us? Or that you and I may say we'll have everything to lose and we'll have nothing to gain? It is well, Americans, as we speak from the Word of God this morning and celebrate the 187th birthday of our nation, it is well to turn to the Word of God and to see, is God's hand mighty enough to meet our needs? Is it mighty enough to meet our dangers? Is it mighty enough to supply the things that we in America need today? Well, let's look for a moment at the mighty hand of God Christian friends, it is just that. It is that hand that is so mighty, that is so omnipotent, that is so all-powerful, that there isn't any need in America today but what the mighty hand of God can meet it. And therefore, Peter says, on your knees, America, trust to the very limit of your confidence, the mighty hand of God, because in the first place, look at this mighty hand. The mighty hand of God is still the hand that determines the destiny of nations. What is it that makes a nation survive, we may say today, because we have the need of survival in the world, isn't that right? We may say to ourselves why it's the balance of power. It is having an army, it is having a navy, it is having nuclear weapons, is it? Is that the answer that caused the survival of nations? Or does God Almighty have something to do with the survival and the keeping of nations intact lest they go down in defeat? It wasn't long ago that I was over in the land of Palestine and I came to the place where they said, here is where ancient Jericho stood. And Christian friends, when you stand in ancient Jericho, there's nothing to see on the surface of the land. They say, this is where we believe the city was. And do you recall the story when Moses came to Mount Nebo and God allowed him to overlook the land of Canaan that flowed with milk and honey? And then Moses died and God buried him and Joshua came into command. And when Joshua with the children of Israel crossed the river Jordan and came into the land of Canaan, the first city that they were to take was the city of Jericho. And do you remember how they took it? God said that there shall be the priests who shall take the trumpets and they shall march around the city of Jericho once each day for six days. And then God said on the seventh day they shall march around the city seven times. And when they have done that on the seventh time they shall blow their trumpets. And when the people hear the blow of the trumpet they shall shout at the top of their voices. And God says the walls of Jericho will come down. Did they come down? I stood at the place where they said Jericho was and archaeologists have begun to dig there and they have dug down 70 feet in the earth's surface and down 70 feet they have uncovered a city of that they say these are the ruins of ancient Jericho does a nation survive by its own power or does a nation survive because it puts its trust in the mighty hand of God then you remember there was King Hezekiah who was king of the southern kingdom and when again Sennacherib had come and had surrounded the city and was going to take it that night Hezekiah knowing that he was woefully outdistanced in power he prayed to God and asked God for help and there came a plague in the night if you recall that incident and the next morning there were 185,000 dead Assyrians lying around the city of Jerusalem 
The mighty hand of God determines the destinies of nations. Oh, not that we are not to use our judgment and not that we are not to be armed to defend ourselves. But again, America, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Nations stand by the power of God, not because of the balance of power of men. When again the northern kingdom had sinned against God in the year 722, and Shalmaneser came, he carried ten tribes of Israel off into captivity, and they had been wiped off the face of the earth, the famous lost ten tribes. Why? Because they forgot God. And then came the year 586 before Christ, when Nebuchadnezzar the Chaldean came and sacked the city of Jerusalem and carried the Jews away into captivity down in Babylon. But you recall there was a prophet Isaiah that lived 700 years before Jesus who had prophesied over 100 years before the man came into existence that there would be a man by the name of Cyrus and that that man would release the Jews and they would be allowed to come back from their home in Babylon and to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and come back into Palestine. And that night at Belshazzar's feast down in Babylon, oh, the Babylonian army was intense and it was terrific, but because there was drunkenness and debauchery that night, the Medes and the Persians broke in and they overcame the Chaldeans and Cyrus came on the throne and the Jews came back. Why, the almighty power of God. And come up to this last war, World War II. Why was it that Hitler and his Nazi power, why was it that they stopped when they had England on its knees? Even Winston Churchill couldn't understand. What was it that made him stop when there was no resistance? But he stopped. And the very fate of World War II was changed. Why? Because God Almighty, the mighty hand of God, still determines the destinies of nations. And therefore, when the call to you and me as we celebrate the 187th birthday of our glorious land, it ought to be America on its knees that we trust in God and we go all the way in our trust because having God and trusting the mighty hand of God, nothing will ever happen to this nation except the Lord God allows it to come. That's the assurance that we can have as Christians when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And as we observe the birthday, therefore, of our glorious nation today, we ought to look inside and probe within ourselves to see whether we really trust God. Does this nation really trust God? Are we a trusting people in Almighty God and in His mighty hand? You know, some of us may look with askance at that question this morning. We may say we are disappointed because of the recent decision of the United States Supreme Court with regard to the schools legislating the reading of the Bible or the praying of the Lord's Prayer in school. You know, I am proud of my nation that the Supreme Court gave that ruling. We must understand that the Supreme Court did not say that we were not a believing, a religious people, but because this is a nation where you and I have the freedom of conscience to worship our God, and that means that you can worship the way he would worship. That means that the atheist who refuses to believe that there is a God can worship as he would want to. That means that the Roman Catholic, the Lutheran, the Protestant can worship his way and all that our government, all that the Supreme Court said that schools shall not legislate a religion that shall be left to the individual that shall be left to the church i was in israel in haifa and in the zion hotel in a jewish hotel and again it was the first meal that we had had that was a good one for many a week 
And yet we sat there and it was a lovely meal. It was beef to be sure. And I had coffee and I asked for cream and I knew when I asked for it that I probably would not get it because I was with an Orthodox group. And again, the waiter said to me, I am sorry, but you will have cream tomorrow morning for breakfast. I knew the ancient ceremony of Jewish law that forbade a Jew to eat meat and to drink cream within an eight-hour period. Yet I was a Gentile. Yet again, even though I was a Gentile, there was no cream on the table. And no Gentile would have it because no Jew would mix meat and milk within an eight-hour period. In our great land where we have religious freedom, again, if the Roman Catholic would come into ascendancy and would legislate religion, it could well be that on Friday no meat would be sold in any grocery store. We would have to eat fish. And again, with regard to the Jew, that cream and milk and meat would not go together. Or even as regards the Lutheran Church, if we were in the ascendancy, there would be a danger that we might want the very taxable money of the nation to go for the furtherance of the Lutheran Church, and we would not want that. There is corruption wherever there is power. I thank God for a nation that still stands for freedom of religion and says, you are the ones to decide what your religion shall be. Your church shall decide. The government shall not interfere as you carry out your prerogative to worship God as your conscience would dictate. It's a great nation and I love it. And therefore again, as Peter would speak to the people of his day, and you and I as we celebrate the birthday of our great land, we say, does God have a message? Yes. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves, America, on your knees. Bow the knee with a real confident faith and trust and reliance and go all the way in your trust in the mighty omnipotent hand of God. And we can say, but is God's hand powerful enough that God's hand can do something as regards this nation? Well, look in the second place. Not only does God's hand guide and determine the destinies of nations, but God's mighty hand also determines and holds in check Satan, who is again the roaring lion. You recall when Dick read the epistle lesson, he said, Peter had these words, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. This individual Satan, this fallen angel of God, he is depicted in two lights in the word of God. One is this his stealth, that he comes in temptation to you and me, and by enticing us to do that which is wrong, to get us to fall away from a living faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But he's got another side, and the other side is the side of the roaring lion, the ravenously hungry lion that we are told raves and roars when it's hungry, about to devour its prey. Satan has that side of him, and that's the side of persecution. When Satan cannot win you and me by enticement, the next best bet he has is to win you and me by bringing persecution. And when Peter was writing here, he wasn't writing something that was a theory. Something had already taken place. Nero was emperor in Rome. And you recall that he had set fire to the city of Rome. And when this thing boomeranged, he was blamed for it. And in order to take and shift the blame to someone else, uh, why here was again the dupe, those Christians, those new people who were worshiping a Jesus who was crucified, who were worshiping a Jesus that they said arose again from the dead and he blamed it on them. 
And then the Neronian persecutions broke out, and Christians were devoured by lions in the Colosseum in which I stood and thought back of the time when those things took place. The roaring lion began. And we say to ourselves, well, does God control the roaring lion? After all, it's true that in the last 30 years, think of it, in the last 30 years there have been more Christians put to death because of their faith than there have been from the day of Jesus until 30 years ago. There are millions behind the Iron Curtain who are still in salt mines or who are in subjection and in subjugation because of this crime that they dare to confess that Jesus Christ is their Lord and their Savior from sin. And what may a person say, well, if God Almighty has a mighty hand, what is his power? We must go back to Calvary. Jesus Christ conquered Satan on the cross. And when he arose again from the dead, Jesus said, I saw Satan topple from his throne. God Almighty in this day of choice still controls Satan even though he is still the roaring lion. God still controls him. The church of Jesus Christ is here. And we say, why does God allow persecution? Well, you see, it accomplishes some good. If persecution would come to your land and mine today, how many of us would stand up for a true loyalty in Jesus Christ and face death? You see, there's one thing that persecution does. It cleanses the church. You know, the church gets so top-heavy at times. We join it like we would a lodge or an organization, and we pay dues and we expect to be waited on. We forget the balm of Gilead, Jesus Christ, in the church. We forget that when we come in, this is a hospital for sin-sick souls. We forget that we come in with the guilt of damnation on ourselves. And we forget that we come to hear the glorious good news that the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse a man whiter than snow, that he can stand before the bar of divine justice and be a forgiven sinner. We forget it. And again, the church becomes a social status. We belong to the church where the best people go. And when persecution comes, we run unless there is a living confrontation of Jesus Christ. It cleanses the church. And another thing it does, it increases the faith of those who believe that we finally learn to realize that there's only one thing important in this world, and it isn't money, it isn't stature, it isn't status, it is Jesus Christ. And the other thing is this, you know it and so do I, there are some people in this world who will never be one for Christ except they see somebody die for him. There's one thing that is unanswerable. When a man says somebody else was willing to die and to be killed for his faith, then a living faith in Jesus Christ must be a vital necessity, and it must be an essential land. The blood of martyrs, it becomes the seed of the church, because through that seed the church grows. And so God Almighty still controls it. And we know this, that when we, in America, we're on our knees and we come into a real reliance and go all the way in the mighty hand of God, that if it would come, God Almighty promises you and me strength to sustain us, that we can stand and quit ourselves as Christians ought to be. Today, as we realize that we're celebrating the 187th birthday of our glorious nation, if persecution should come, let us accept it gladly and know that it was not something that was inevitable. It was something that God allowed to come, relying upon God's strength, Yesterday, June the 29th, in the ancient church was always celebrated as St. Peter and St. Paul's Day, commemorating their martyrdom. Peter knew what he was writing about in the Neronian persecution. He was brought to Rome, and he was crucified upside down. He was crucified because he was a Jew, and he lost his life because he dared to be a soldier of Jesus Christ. So there was Paul, the little Jew from up Tarsus way in Cilicia, when he was brought to Rome because he was a Roman citizen. He was given the choice and therefore they beheaded him. That's the way Romans died. His head fell from his shoulders. 
But Paul was a man that could say, I have fought a good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but to all them also that love is appearing. Those men died because they humbled themselves under the mighty hand of God, and they knew that God's hand was mighty enough to protect them, except when God used them to the glory of his name. Today, as we celebrate again the birthday of our great nation, humble yourselves, says Peter, down on your knees, America. Trust God. Trust him all the way. You and I say, will we be disappointed? Bear in mind, the mighty hand of God is also this mighty hand that will exalt and that will abase in due time. Will there be a judgment? Peter said, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Will there be a judgment day when God's Christ will come? You know, sometimes men laugh at it. Will there be a day of exaltation for God's own? Have you ever noticed as you read the Old Testament the number of times it is mentioned about the children of Israel being delivered from the land of Egypt? How again when Moses led them an army of between one and three million Jews and they crossed the Red Sea and they came into the wilderness and God kept them alive by manna that fell from heaven for 40 years and we are told that their feet didn't swell and their clothing didn't wear out in that 40 day period, 40 year period. And they came into the land of Canaan and that great deliverance again stands as a monumental deliverance that is going to take place at the last day. Will there be a debasement of those that have rejected Jesus Christ? There was the flood that inundated the world. It stands as a testimony of judgment. There was the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It stands as a testimony of judgment. There was again the destruction of Jerusalem in the year 70 when Titus and Vespasian sacked the city. It stands as destruction. God will exalt and God will abase. Even Christ said, this generation, this race shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. The fact that the Jew will live to the end of time is an absolute ocular demonstration of this promise of God that God will come again in exaltation and God will come to dethrone those who have rejected him. And therefore we face a problem today and in our nation it's the problem of the colored people, isn't it? And we say to ourselves, what is the will of God? Some men are not interested in what the will of God is because they do not believe in the mighty hand of God to destroy. But God's arm will exalt and it will abase. What is the will of God? God has made all men in his image, hasn't he? Adam and Eve were our first parents and all human beings, therefore, are made in the image of God regardless as to the fact as to whether a man's color is white or whether his color is colored. There is only one kind of human blood and it flows through the veins of all men, doesn't it? What is the will of God as we stand in our nation that is on fire? Let's realize this, that we ought to say if God Almighty will come to exalt and condemn we ought to pray on our knees today, God give us the courage to do what is right, regardless of what the consequences will be. There was Abraham Lincoln, who st stood on the battlefield of Gettysburg, and he spoke these monumental words one day. 
fourscore and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. A score, you know, is 20 years. Four score would be 80, wouldn't it? 80 plus 7 means 87 years. So when Abraham Lincoln stood at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, where 51,000 Americans either died or were wounded in battle, it was at the time when our nation was just 87 years old. This coming Thursday, our nation under God will be 187 years old. 100 years the colored people have waited for their rights which are theirs by constitution and by law in this great land of ours. How much more patience do you and I want from them? We teach our children, do we not, that they are to stand in the classroom and to place their hand on their heart and to face, O oh, glory, and to pledge allegiance. And we thrill when we hear them stand and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. But listen, Americans, how many children stand in the classroom and under their breath have got to say, with liberty and justice for all but me? We teach our children to stand in church, and there's the church flag over there, and to put their hands over their hearts and to say, I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the church for which it stands, one Savior, universal, with life and salvation for all. Do you believe life and salvation in Jesus Christ have been prepared for all? Does that mean the colored man as well as the white man, or are we living a lie? Do you and I believe it? If we believe it, when will we as Americans and as Christians say, this thing has gone on long enough. The ground before the cross of Calvary is level and it's equal. God hath made us all of one blood that men may have the liberty that this great nation intends for all. Francis Scott Key, you know, asked the question, Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming? He asked the question, can you see, still see in the dawn, something that we saw in the twilight last night? And you and I may say, what did Francis Scott Key see? And then he goes on, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous night, or the ramparts we watched, were so gallantly streaming. He was looking at Fort McHenry. He calls it the stripes and the stars. It was gallantly waving, and they could see it through the night. And we wonder, how could he see it through the night? But he goes on and says, and the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in there, gave proof through the night that our flag 
was still there. That's what it was, old glory. When the bombs burst in air, Francis Scott Key could still see old glory waving in the breeze. And then he asks America this question today as we commemorate the birthday of our nation, oh say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave? Does it still wave? Is it going to continue to wave? Oh, only if America gets on its knees, only if America humbles itself before the mighty hand of God and dares to do what God wants it to do. Only then can the words that Abraham Lincoln spoke come true as he prayed that, oh, this nation of the people and by the people and for the people should not perish from the earth. I love this nation, and I know you love it too. We love it that we would die for it. Today, as we commemorate its glorious 187th birthday, I call on you, quit yourselves as men. Quit yourselves as Christians. Quit yourselves as loyal Americans. Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.